So today, uh, we're going to continue in our series on church hurt. And uh, last week, there was an overwhelming response. And so we know that this is a Holy Spirit-led series um, because of how much it's touching our own lives uh, and touching the lives of others. Uh, So let me start off with a question. When you think about Christianity, what kind of five words come to mind? What, What thoughts, what kind of meanings come to mind when you think about Christianity? For some of us, um, we may say hope, peace, salvation, joy. Um, we may, may think of community and goodness. Uh, but that's not the way that the world tends to think of us as Christians at this point. In fact, just a few years ago, um, some young adults in our country were asked kind of like their, their top five words that you would use to describe the church. Uh, and Christians, and uh, they used some different words. Uh, and they tallied these words up, and they, they brought the top five to the front of this big survey. So here are the words that were described by the community outside of us. And, and here's what I want to say. In each of these words, you can hear hurt. So the first was judgmental. The second was homophobic. The third is bigoted. Fourth is elitist, and then the fifth is hypercritical. Now, I don't know if those were in your vocabulary when you began to describe the church, but for people outside of the church, these were the top five responses for young people. It sounds like, church, we have a messaging problem. It sounds like maybe the way that we behave and the things that we do aren't really aligning with the book that we hold so dearly to our heart. And it doesn't seem to identify us with people well. In fact, Jesus was referred to by many things, son of man, but for a lot of people, he ate with sinners. He loved people right where they were. And so today, we're going to talk about that first word that showed up in that list, judgmentalism. Judgment. Now, uh, you know, a lot of us in the room have experienced this and probably experienced this in church. And so what we're going to talk about today is really what is judgmentalism? What, what do we do with it? What is the difference between judgmentalism and discernment, right? Because we don't want to all be in situations where, you know, you've got five people outside of your car with AK-47s one day and you go, you know, I don't want to judge them. I don't want to judge the situation. I mean, we, so we use discernment, correct? Right? We, we use wisdom in certain situations. But then not only how did, did Jesus deal with judgmentalism? If you read the Gospels, in fact, this message could be probably a whole series in itself. Because if you read the Gospels and the story of Jesus' life, he is judged constantly. Constantly. And mainly by people from within the church or Judaism at the time. That's his harshest critics in his life. And we're going to look at how Jesus was able to get through judgmentalism and get to the cross because his viewpoint on life and what he was called to do was not built on the perception of others. And so today, what I want us to do is to, one, heal some of that hurt that you have, but also to help us walk into the future and be less affected by the judgment of other people. So a couple years ago, um, I was invited to speak at an event um, and everything was going well. I was invited by one of, uh, the guys on this team. And about a few weeks before the event, I got a phone call and they said, Hey, Blake, <clears throat> I just want to let you know 
that you're not going to be able to speak at this event. And I was like, oh, okay, did something change? Like, what's going on? Uh, Did I do something wrong? And they're like, no, no, not at all. You're just not part of our denomination. And I was like, "Uh, what? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're just not part of our denomination, so you can't speak at our event. And I thought, okay, so because I don't talk like you, look like you, and, and believe every single thing like you do, I can't come on the stage, but you don't even know me as a person. But the label, the judgment that I was put on was not, I'm not going to say the denomination, some of you want me to, not this denomination. And man, I felt like that was so unfair. I felt like this has nothing to do with me. It really has everything to do with you. And that's what began to get me freedom. Because here's, I'm going to give us just a little secret sauce, and you're going to hear it a couple times today when we begin to talk about judgmentalism. We are the recipients of other people's problems. When you are judged by other people for no reason whatsoever, it's really their problem that they're projecting onto you. And when you realize that, when you begin to understand that, it doesn't mean that the hurt goes all away, but it takes the sting away. Because what you can realize and look at is go, man, This really isn't my problem, even though you've tried to make it about me. This is your problem. And we can help heal people, and actually we can work through judgmentalism. And really the the way to get through that, and the way to get through judgmentalism is, is really one thing. It's who do you find your identity in? Who gets to tell you who you are? And let me just tell you, a lot of the world's gonna say, you get to tell you who you are. Okay. That's nice on the surface level, but how many of us, the worst voice in our life is our own? Okay, so like that's, that's like the world's wisdom. That's the best you got is you get to tell you who you are. But what if you're not so nice to who you are? In Christianity, we have this supreme creator God who gets to name us and who gets to tell us who we are. And our identity is found in who the Father says that we are. And so today, I want to help us. Because we've all probably been the recipients of judgment. And if we're all honest in the room, we've probably judged people unfairly. Right? Have you ever been in a situation where you made a quick judgment? You know that judgments on people are made within the first, um, really, 10 seconds to one second of meeting someone. Seems kind of superficial. You haven't even opened your mouth yet, and I've already determined who you are and what category you go in in my life. Okay, so what I want us to help us understand and to look at is is not only how do we handle our judgment when we are judged by others, but actually how do we become less judgmental? How do we be about winning people and not winning arguments? See, a lot of us in here like, I won the argument, but you lost the person. That's not the kingdom call. That's not the kingdom call. How many times is Jesus right, but he's about winning people, so he patiently loves people, and then right will come around. Theology will come around. Like, like Christianity is not a theology test that gets you in the door. It's a God who invites you in and then teaches you about who he is. And so today, are you guys excited about dealing with this? All right, some of you are like, I don't know. You're judging me up there. All right, whatever. So, quick question. Why are people judgmental? 
Because let me just tell you, yes, Christianity has a problem with this. Absolutely. But the world has a problem with this. Right? You can show up in an event or have a sign in your yard that says you're from one political party or the other, and people will either love you now or they will hate you based upon the sign or the color of the party that you're a part of. That's it. And that's why like people can look at, and each party's side looks at the candidate for each party and goes, how can you vote for this? Look at all of these bad things. And they're like, well, yeah, but I, you know, I, I like these things. They've made judgment, and that's caused them to see what they want to see. And the opposite is true. will say, your candidate does all of these things. And you're like, well, yeah, but that's not a big deal. You're like, really? It's not a big deal? It's the what we've chosen to align ourselves with. So this is a human problem. But judgmentalism and judgment comes from really three different hearts. Okay? This is really important for us to understand because <clears throat> it can help you identify while you may have your own prejudices, but also help you have sympathy and empathy for the people that are judging you. So here's the three hearts. The first is pride. Pride, I'm better than you, right? That's what judgmentalism feels like. It feels like the person is up here and you're down here and they're looking down on you and they are judging you and they are telling you all of these things that you're not. It feels elitist. It feels like th there is this us and them kind of mentality. So then not attached to that really is jealousy. I think judgmentalism comes through jealousy. The Bible has another word for this called coveting. Wanting what other people have. Being jealous of what other people have. It's in the Ten Commandments. So think about this. You, you're on Instagram or Facebook, the healthiest places in the world. And <clears throat> um, your friend gets a new car. Or people that you know... Get a, get a brand new car. And your thought is, how do they afford that? They must be swimming in debt. They're awful. And you get jealous, right? And you're like, man, why don't we have that? Why don't, man, they must be doing something wrong. You ever thought that? They must be doing something wrong in order to get that kind of money. How do they do that? They sell one of their kids? I don't know how they got this car. But I think at the core of judgmentalism is not just pride, because here's what I've found. Prideful people are actually really insecure people. And that's the third heart of judgmentalism, insecurity. What happens is, is we begin to pick apart others because it makes us feel better about the holes that we have in ourselves. It, it, it helps us many times say, well, this person is this, 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 and this, and I'm not. And so I feel better about me. Or you, you might judge yourself harshly. Some of you, the person who judges you the worst is you. And you see that new car or whatever, and, you go, and now you start judging all the things that you're not. And here's what I would say. Judgmentalism never leads to joy. On either side. On either side. It never leads to joy. And so what happens is, is when we get into a judgmental heart, these are the things that I think begin to fuel our judgment. It's fear. Like not understanding, a lack of understanding. Society has told us to judge people. I mean, that's like kind of what it is. Like Instagram and Facebook for some of us is like America's got talent. Right? It's like, let's just say this. America's got a life. And so we 
put out this life that we want other people to see. When you're fabricating a life that you want other people to see, what you're telling me is you're insecure, you have fear, and you're scared of the judgments of others. I mean, some of us are keeping up with the Joneses so that we can, uh, and who made the Joneses such a cool family? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Why them? Jones, whatever, right? But what happens is, is we get stuck in this and we, we have to keep up because we don't want to be seen as less than. So society has caused us to be a very judgmental group of people. And then I believe this, judgmental people are self-criticizers. I really do. I, I, I don't find very joyful, judgmental people. Do you? Like when you know people who are really judgmental towards everything, do you find them to be joyful? It seems like Honestly, it's a miserable way to exist. And let's be honest, if our role as the bride of Christ in the church of Christ is to go into all the world, to tell people about the good news, to tell people about the one who has saved us, if they think that we're judgmental and all of these other things, I doubt they're coming in the door. And so here's the deal. How we live outside of this room matters. How we live matters. We need to tell a better story about who we are. And let me just, this is kind of like a church hurt word and theme that we're going to use throughout the rest of the series that I think will help us understand how church and hurt enters in the first place. And it's this, and I'll explain it. No one get offended. Don't judge me yet, okay? But I think church hurt happens when people are big and God is small. If you look at almost all of the things that we're going to talk about in this series, the issue that really arises is that people become big and God becomes small. And as we look at the life of Jesus and how Jesus dealt with judgmental people, God was huge. And his identity was found in who he was. And because his identity was found in who God called him to be, he was able to love those who were against him. His identity was found in life. And, and so here's how this works. From the top up, when people are big and, and God is small, is when you're at the top, then everyone below you is judged and worthless and not worth caring for and loving. And so you, you become this kind of dictator. You, it's all about me and not about the people. But on the other side of that scale is the people. And what happens is, is when judgment becomes big, how other people feel about me matters, than what God has, matters more than what God has said I am. And so I think at the core of church hurt is when people are bigger than God. And I think that, that that's a big reality that we all need to work with And some of us in here need to shift our perspective from the people in the room to the God who called us to the room. And this isn't to say that you're not genuinely hurt. You are genuinely hurt. You are dealing with pain. But the reality is, is you're paying attention to the wrong thing. And what can begin to bring healing is when we look towards the right thing. And so today we're going to be in the Gospels uh, and dealing with a couple different stories. And one of the things that we have to kind of delineate here is why does judgmentalism actually hurt? And I'll tell you why. There's two reasons. We don't want to feel like we don't belong because when you feel judged, you feel like an outsider. So judgmentalism to us feels like rejection. You are rejecting who I am when you don't even know who I am. This hurts really bad. 
The other reason I think judgmentalism hurts really bad is because people pick out things that we truly believe about ourselves. It hits home, right? It's kind of near to that voice in our head that knows of our deficiencies and knows of the things that we don't do very well at times. And so when people bring those things up and they may not know your life at all, it feels so true because it's what you believe about yourself. It's, it kind of hits home and makes us feel like we, we can't do this. And so the first couple verses that we're going to get into is in Matthew chapter 7. But we're going to have to make a distinction here to help us in this moment. There is a huge difference between discernment and judgmentalism. Right? So using good judgment and judgmentalism. And so here's the big thing. When you're using discernment, it's the ability to make considered decisions or come to a sensible conclusion. That's what, what we would say discernment is, right? You can look at a situation and understand. Like here's what I would, here's like a really simple example. If you see an apple with a big old bruise and a hole in it and it looks kind of stinky and like doesn't look good and there's a worm crawling around in it, no one here needs to go, you know what, I'm not supposed to judge, Okay, I need to try a bite. I don't know. I just don't know. I couldn't know that that is bad. Right? No, like you're seeing the evidence of what is happening. And so you use discernment. Okay, this is a rotten apple. Judgment would be, or judgmentalism would be, I don't like the color of that apple. It's not a bright enough red. That's a bad apple. Or like kids do. They look at new food that looks perfectly good, and they say, I don't like that. Why don't you like that? I don't know. I've never had it. But I can tell you, from the looks of it, I don't like it. Do we see the distinct difference? Like, there's so many times, like, we were eating sushi the other day, and um, one of our kids, Tatum, she's awesome, um, she, but she has a, an aversion to trying new foods. We sing this Daniel Tiger song. You guys know this song? You got to try new foods because they might taste good, right? So we sing that to our 10-year-old idiots. Uh, and, um, and what happens is um, she ate some sushi the other day for the first time ever. And she ate it, and she looked at me, and I was like, what's going to happen? And she's like, this is delicious. And I said, would we have ever steered you in the wrong direction? But you've got to trust us instead of pre-deciding what you like. You've got to trust this moment and be open to be disappointed in order to be pleasantly surprised. And so does, do those two distinctions make sense to us? Because what Jesus is going to say in the Bible is don't judge others. And that's where everyone starts. We're going to start with probably one of the top five misquoted verses in the Bible today. Okay, top, this is easily top five. This is what everybody uses. And when people use it on me, I say, have you read the rest of what this was said in there? So here, Matthew chapter seven, verse one. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Most people say, stop. I love that verse. It's the best. It's good. But it says this, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here's what that means. Jesus is saying, don't judge others just randomly for no reason. But understand that when we do judge others, you are held to the same account. So it's like this. We judge somebody who comes into church. 
I don't know. Pick a, pick a reason. You guys got something? Okay, you guys are with me. I can tell. We're, we're together. Um, maybe it's the way that they're dressed. Or maybe they walked in and said a cuss word. It's okay. My ears won't bleed. We'll, be, we'll make it, okay? But what happens is, is we judge other people. And as Christians, our, our test is the Bible. But then you see that person, and so what do you do? You walk over to your best friend at church, and you start talking junk about the person who just walked in. You're gossiping. This is what Jesus says. You're held to the same account and standard. And the measuring stick for Christians is the Bible. So when you see people who are doing things and you judge them, understand we're judging you by the same thing. Doesn't make any sense to go, I don't like what they're wearing. Let me go tell somebody about it. Hey, talking all these things. She doesn't seem like a nice person. He seems like a slob. And then you're like, ha ha, and you laugh and you won't get to know that person. But the reality is, is that you are sinning in the same line. It's the same thing. Judgment is upon that. In fact, there was a couple years ago, um, we had a family friend, then more than a couple years ago, I was in middle school. So this is like (laughs) five decades ago. (laughs) Gosh, man, I got to figure out time. Okay, so, um, but there was this guy, and uh, I won't give you his name, um, but his initials were HV. And he lived here in town. And um, he always showed up in a shirt, T-shirt with holes in it, and nasty shorts, and like some Sperry's that looked like they needed to be buried, right? You know what I'm saying? And I, for a long time, I thought, man, is your, this kid's dad homeless? Like, what's up? Well, I come to find out that HV started the company that later became Visa Credit Cards, and that this same person owns skyscrapers in New York City and was probably a multi-billionaire. And I missed all of that because of the clothes that I saw him wearing. And that's when I really began to realize that when I become judgmental and when I look at these things and I judge people by the standard, I'm going to be judged by the same things. And the reality is, is I was putting on a persona like I was rich and I wasn't. He was putting on a persona of he didn't care because he was. And I almost miss getting to know this incredible businessman in my life as even a young kid because I thought that guy has nothing to say to me. That guy has nothing to say to me. So this is what the Bible is saying here. Jesus is saying, don't judge, because when you judge others, you are held to the same account. You will be measured to you the same way. And then it says this. He gives this analogy. Why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? This is Jesus using humor. A lot of us read this and go like, that. wow, that's weird. Stop being so serious, right? Like Jesus is saying like, you got a four by six coming out of your forehead and you got a problem because that guy's got a little dust in his eye, right? He's using this analogy and he goes like, hey, listen, chill out. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. We think that there's a period there, but there's not. This is what Jesus says. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So what do we see? The difference between judgmentalism and discernment is this. Judgmentalism is we judge people based upon what we see with no real evidence to support that judgment. But using discernment is about actually helping other people. 
Did you see what Jesus says? He says, don't stop. If there really is dust in your brother's eye, you should be part of helping your brother. But be first to understand and look at your own life. Remove those things so you can see clearly. And what does seeing clearly mean there? It means humility. When you are truly humble, which is the opposite of all of the hearts that come into judgmentalism, then you can really love and serve your brother or sister in Christ and help bring them closer to God. Because what discernment uses in that situation when it comes to us between brother and sister in Christ is this. I'm actually here for your benefit. And when you're there for someone's benefit, you will take a much greater and better and more careful approach to dealing with their pain than you do when you just think that they're awful. And so Jesus is saying this. There's a big difference between judgmentalism and discernment. We're not going to be in the judgmental crowd, but we will use discernment. But that changes the way that you and I approach these situations because here's really what happens with judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is about making you feel better while you tear other people down. Judgmentalism, by definition, is very selfish. Using discernment and good judgment is actually about helping and serving others. Those are huge, distinct moments that you and I have to understand. And so what do judgmental people look like? If you flip in your Bible to Matthew chapter 12, we're going to go through this passage pretty quickly. But here's the first thing that I think that happens with judgmental people is that they mix up how with who. Everything is about how things are done, the right way to do it, right? They, 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 there's a very precise way, and if you don't do it the precise way, it's the wrong way. And what judgmental people do is they lose the heart of the matter for the rule of the matter. Does that make sense? Look at what the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, notice that the judgmental people are always around the corner looking for something to judge. They said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. It's, they can't do this. They're telling the God who created the Sabbath what can and can't happen. It's how over who? Look at what Jesus says. He answered, haven't you read that David, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, which would be the te a temple or a, a synagogue at the time. And he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Here's what he's saying. Those pastors work on the holy day. The Sabbath is a day for rest of no work, and yet the priests are doing it, and yet they're innocent. So he says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, and this is from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. And then Jesus makes very clear, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I got some authority here to say these things because I'm the one who created this. I'm the one who figured this out. And what happens in this story is a judgmental people, they love the Bible and they like to, they think that there's not clarity in here and they can't live without clarity because how can you judge people if things aren't clear? And so what happens is, is they keep writing. 
There's all of these rules that just keep writing. In fact, in Judaism, there were over 630 laws that you were to follow. 630. Guys, we can't even follow the speed limit, okay? That's one rule. Just don't go faster than this. And we're like, whatever. Who cares, right? Can you imagine there are 632 things that we had to do in order to come into church holy, righteous, and good? Man, judgmental people complicate things, right? Because there's got to be a rule. Because how can we judge you if there's not a rule? And here's what Jesus was telling the Pharisees. You've lost the heart. You've lost the heart of this. Because I would rather have mercy than sacrifice. And what Jesus does, what I love is he goes, you guys are the experts Have you guys missed the truth of these teachings when David went into the synagogue and ate the bread that was for the priest? He broke the Sabbath, but yet God did not condemn him. Why? Because of the heart of what was going on. The heart of the law, we have to understand, is what needs to influence the letter of the law. But when you become judgmental, it's all letter and no heart. And what do we call things with no heart? Dead. And things that are meant to bring us to life, things that are meant to preserve our life, bring death into our life because we lost the heart of it. That's why Christianity can feel like death sometimes because we lost the heart of God and how he implemented things. And so now it's all just these like, what color is the carpet? What denomination are you? How loud is the music? Is there a drum cage? Should we have drums? How about a guitar? Like what goes on? And this gets complicated and awful and miserable. And so what happens is is the the Pharisees mix these things up, the letter of the law and the heart of the law. But here's what Jesus did. Notice that Jesus doesn't get angry. Jesus doesn't start to rebuke them and, and hurt them. Jesus peacefully and patiently speaks to them and lets them know what is really going on. And here's why Jesus was able to do that. He knew who he was and he found his worth in who God made him to be. Do you notice how he ended the sentence, the, the, the phrase here? For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's who I am. I am the Son of Man. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And because I know who I am, your miscalculation of who I am and what I've actually asked people to do will no longer determine how I feel. Do you see how invincible Jesus is in that moment? And I think that the Pharisee's heart was trying to be in the right place. It was trying to do the right thing. But the reality is, is because there was no heart and there was only law, it's hard to do the right thing. And so what happens in this story is Jesus continues on. And let me just tell you, has anyone ever noticed when judgmental people can't catch you the first time, they make it their life's mission to catch you the next time? Right? They go into like hunter mode. They're looking for a reason to not like you, a reason to not listen to you. In the Pharisees' case, they're looking for a reason to kill Jesus because judgmental people are rules over reasoning. What happens for a lot of people who deal with judgment is that the rules define everything and reasoning goes out of the window. It's always black and white. There is no gray. There is no sense of understanding. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Going from that place, he went into their synagogue. So he already makes them mad. He already is eating grain. And then he walks into the holy house, the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. I told you they were hunting him. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? He's just like, wouldn't you go save a sheep? If it was hurt and injured on the Sabbath, isn't that sheep more like very important to you? And they're like, well, yeah, of course. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? He says, you would save a sheep out of a hole on the Sabbath, but you won't help people? You've got the letter, but you forgot the heart. You forgot it. So he says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus says, you guys have missed this. The point of the Sabbath is so important, and it's lawful to do good things on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Like, man, that's incredible. And you think that the Pharisees and the judgmental people of the time would be like, whoa, we, we might have this wrong. Now, judgmental people, they're hard to change their mind. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So Jesus shows a miraculous sign of, of who he is and what he can do. He demonstrates that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And his demonstration did not align with their judgments. And so now they're looking for a way to kill him. Because here is the reality. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? Is the purpose of the Sabbath for you and I, maybe we need to correct our understanding of the Sabbath. Is the purpose of the Sabbath when we have a day of rest to sit there and do nothing? No. It's not just to sit there and do nothing. What good is that? You're like, well, there is some good, but it's really the Sabbath is about what? Drawing our hearts and our minds and our needs to God. The Sabbath is that we rest from work to plug in to God. That is the whole point of the Sabbath. Because some of us in our resting and doing nothing, I don't think your mind goes to God. You're, you're not fulfilling the Sabbath just as much as you would if you went out and worked all day. So here's the reality. Is rest bad? Absolutely not. Is you laying around and doing nothing for a day bad? No. But it's what is the purpose of the Sabbath? to bring your mind to God, to bring all of these things. And it shows faith. I'm not going to work today because I believe that you'll bless the other six. I believe that you'll bless the other six. So today I can rest and find my courage and my strength and my anointing in who you are. So what is the point of Sabbath? It is rest and healing. The Sabbath was actually instituted to help heal us. It's a moment where we can take our mind off of all of the things in this world and in faith go to God and in faith believe in who God is, trust him with our lives, and that brings healing to our souls. And so what does Jesus show in this moment? You've missed the heart of the Sabbath. The heart of the Sabbath is to rest so that you may heal, so that you may know me better, so that you may do all of these things. You've missed the heart of what this is established to do, and I'm showing you exactly what it's here for. For it is not unlawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. And so the story continues and it talks about Jesus being the servant. And we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 here. And this is what happens. Judgmental people will twist anything to follow their conclusion. They've predecided. 
They've predecided. And so Jesus showed us that he is not offended and doesn't have to deal necessarily and doesn't find himself dejected because other people don't see him for who he really is. Because only he needs God to see him for who he is. And because his identity is in God, the way that other people feel about him is obsolete. And then he showed us in the last story that it's always right to do the right thing. It's always right to do the right thing. Regardless of what other people think about you, it's right to do the right thing. It's right to step forward and do the right thing. But what we're going to see is, is for a lot of judgmental people, and, and maybe this is you and maybe this is the people you've experienced, do you see how kind of miserable some of this is? Not just for the people that are judged, but for the judgmental people. This is not life bringing. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. They're still going after Jesus. They're trying to find a way to get rid of Jesus because he doesn't fit their box. And so they're missing the son of God because the son of God didn't show up according to their rules, but his own. Then they brought him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute and Jesus healed him. So that he could both talk and see. This is miraculous. All of the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? The non-judgmental people in this moment and in this story are open to what God is doing. But, here we go. When the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, which is a name for a prince of darkness. So it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons... That this fellow drives out demons. So they see a miraculous moment where Jesus heals a guy who is blind and mute. And what they think is, is, well, the devil, he used the devil to throw out the devil. Because you'll twist anything to make it fit your own conclusion, right? Jesus knew their thoughts. I love this. Even this shows how incredible Jesus is. Jesus goes, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. So Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household that is divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? He goes, guys, you've thrown out logic and understanding in this moment to meet your preconceived judgments. You're missing what is actually happening. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? He said, what you guys been doing? What power are you using to drive demons out of people? Because if you think I'm using evil to do it, that's the only way, right, guys? I mean, you guys are logical. You have all these rules, right? But whenever a rule doesn't, like something happens that doesn't fit their rule, there's an amendment. Except in this situation, it's only when Jesus shows up that you use bad things to cast out bad things. Right, guys? And everyone's like, yeah, right? He says this. So how do do you do this? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, how do you and your people drive them out? So then they they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that drives out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
And he skips down here, continuing, and it says this, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he tries, to, he ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. He's saying this doesn't, what you're saying doesn't make sense. And so the Pharisees continue to press in on Jesus, and he picks up the story here in verse 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. This is where Jesus says we use discernment. Good fruit, good tree. Bad fruit, bad tree. It's not an opinion. It's what it is. It's right there in front of us. And then Jesus gets a little testy. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That could, man, if you're speaking judgment all the time, that's what your heart is full of. If you've been judged a ton by church and people in the church, I'm sorry, their hearts are full of it. Their hearts are full of this moment in their modern day Pharisees. And it doesn't mean they're not believers. It just means that they got messed up and tied up into the wrong things. And so would you forgive them? Would you forgive me if, I, if I've been judgmental towards you in any way, if you felt that way? Because forgiveness releases you in this moment from the burden of everything being made right. It doesn't excuse what they did. It just means that God's going to deal with it. And that's what Jesus says. You're going to be judged by these things. You who are doing all these things and making all these rules and passing all this judgment on people, you are going to be judged by the same thing because your heart is full of it. And it says this, just like a good tree brings good fruit, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. What did Jesus do? Jesus saw that their preconceived notions and preconceived judgments blinded them to what was actually happening right in front of them. And I wonder, for us, even in this room, like what rules and boxes have you built around who God is and how God operates that you're not seeing God operate in your situation because it doesn't fit the paradigm that you've placed him in? You can't put God in a box. You can't. He does things miraculously and in ways we do not understand and in timings that we do not get. And so some of us in here, let me, can, let's just get into everyone's business, have judged God because he didn't meet our preconceived notion. And some of us are judging God because of the failing and the failures of his people. And so what happens is, is we remove ourselves from what is actually good because it does not bring us to our preconceived notion. And maybe for some of us in here, you need to stop judging yourself and speaking harshly to yourself and condemning yourself because your own self-critic keeps you from being a part of the kingdom. And being a part of participating in this beautiful place. Because you say, well, I don't like me, so who would? Well, God loves you. And you're a brother and sister in Christ. And you belong to a family. You belong here. 
And I don't know what you've faced in the past and the things that you've dealt with from other people. But the reality is this. Judgment and judgmentalism keeps us from far too many good things and doesn't really ever lead us to anything good. See, what Jesus did, and this is what we have to do sometimes with judgmental people, is we got to call them out. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus goes, look, what you're saying doesn't make any sense, not even common sense. What you're saying is foolishness. How can you say that? How can you miss what is right in front of you because you've predetermined who I am in your eyes? See, they weren't looking to be proven wrong. They weren't looking to really find out who Jesus was. Jesus did some things, and they predetermined who Jesus was. And so everything in their minds and in their lives fit that preconceived condition. And you know what they missed out on? I feel bad. They missed out on spending time with the Son of God. He was right there, right in front of them, the Son of God, the one that they so longed for and hoped for because of the judgment that they had predetermined in their life. Church, are we missing God? Are we missing Him in our lives and in our hearts? Because we predetermine who He is and how He operates, or we've predetermined how His church really is. So we won't really get involved and we won't really become a part of it. And my bedrock story is I show up and I leave. That's my bedrock story. Because, man, I've dealt with those people before, and those Christians are always like that. Church, could we be different? Could we be a different kind of church? Could we be a church that loves people and sees people for who they are, that ministers to people, and that is more about winning people and loving people than it is about winning an argument? And that we could become a church that is more about the color of the carpet or, or the sound of the band and more about seeing others coming to know the Lord because of this moment and that we wouldn't be modern-day Pharisees that would distract people from the goodness of God, but that we would be modern-day disciples who declare the goodness of God. And so, as we end this morning, I think there's a really interesting story in the Bible where we see how Jesus deals with judgmental people and how Jesus deals with people who deserve to be judged. Okay? John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. How did they catch this woman? This seems like a setup, does it not? Also, where's the guy? Where's Bill? Okay, if your name's Bill, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, I feel judged. I got to get out of here. Okay. <laughs> Bill just ran out the door. Um, not me. Um, so they, they're going to set up Jesus. They made her stand before the group. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. And said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Not after the fact, in the act. In the law of Moses... Um, commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? Here's our rules. What do you say? What do you say in this moment? 
how do you deal with this person who deserves to be judged? Because guys, can I just like, just stop for a second? We all deserve judgment. Let's just be honest. Like we've all done things to people and we've, we've, we've lived in such a way that deserves judgment. And the fact that we're alive and the worst thing hasn't happened in our life is the grace of God. That should humble us. But can you imagine for this poor woman, this has nothing to do with her and judgment. It has everything to do with them being right and proving Jesus wrong. Judgmental people will use people. And so here's what happened. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Man, I wish I could have been there. I don't know what he wrote. It must be stellar. Because things get crazy. When they kept on questioning him, you notice judgmental people are pushy and they'll try to push you into a corner and they'll badger you to death. Yeah, they're really great. Um, They kept on questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, he just stops and says, hey, I'm going to stand up. I've written something on the ground you all can see. And he says this, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I don't know what he wrote. So this is all just me. I wonder if he just wrote out the Ten Commandments. And he just says like, hey, remember these? Any of you who has not sinned, you can cast the first stone. He kind of reminds everyone where everyone needs to be. I don't know what if he wrote that. Don't go tell someone. Pastor Blake said, it's just speculation. Verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. How many of us with age comes wisdom and you realize and you become a little more gracious because you've lived a little bit of life? So the older ones, they leave first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Could you imagine what it was like for this lady? I mean, it's already embarrassing. You've already been caught in the act. Embarrassing. Super embarrassing. Now you've been brought in front of a crowd of people who are there to judge and condemn you and possibly stone you to death. And then you're left here with the Son of God. And for some of us, that would be the scariest place to be on earth. Son of God is here? Uh, This is awful. So does this woman rightfully deserve some judgment? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can't just say like, no, she was totally right. She was totally good. She was just committing adultery, guys. This is a big deal. But I want you to notice what Jesus does with judgmental people and what he does with those who deserve to be judged. At this, those who heard, they began to go away, and it was just Jesus and her standing there. And he says this to her. He straightened up and asked her, woman, which is a term of endearment, not one of degradation, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, no one, sir, she said then neither do I condemn you. But he does say this. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus patiently, peacefully, lovingly stands there with the woman who has just been told that she should be stoned to death. And he looks at her and he says what? I don't condemn you. But here's the deal. This is what he's calling her to do. Repent and turn from your life of sin and walk towards God. That's his grace and his mercy and his love towards us as people. We deserve all the judgment, and yet the grace of God is there for us. 
And I'm just going to tell you, where is the moment in the Bible where we see Jesus deal the most with judgment? And I'll tell you, it's at the cross. Jesus, the one who had done nothing wrong, was judged by Pilate, was judged by the Jewish leaders of the time, and so much so that he was put on a cross. But because Jesus' identity was built in who he was there to be, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, Jesus was able and willing to get up on the cross to die for those who were wrongfully judging him in that moment. Why? Because he was invincible. Why? Because his identity was truly found in who he was created to be. And the judgments of others did not stop him from doing what was right, from doing what needed to be done for you and I. And so, if there is any hope in all of this, it's this. There can be healing from judgment. There can be healing from being judgmental towards others when we truly know and see Christ for who he is. And when our identity is found as being adopted sons and daughters of God. You can be freed in this moment. You can find healing in this moment. And here's the other thing that's so beautiful about all of this. Jesus understands. If you're in this room and you feel like, man, I've been judged so harshly and unfairly by people in the church, Jesus gets it. If you feel like, man, all of these people, all they want to do is they see me as one way and so they assign me to this corner and they don't really see who I am and don't see what I'm actually going through and what I'm here to do, Jesus gets it. He understands it. Jesus can have empathy and compassion for you in this moment when you feel like you've been hurt by his people because he gets it. But here's the beautiful thing. Not only does Jesus get it, he gave us a solution to it. And he says this, when you're found in me and my, my words are your identity, then you can be healed. Then you can be free. And I, and I want to give everybody a challenge in this room as we wrap up. Here's the challenge. In order to believe the right thing, you have to speak the truth to the wrong thing. So here's what I'm going to ask everyone to do. In your Bible, the Bible describes you as a believer in Jesus Christ in very certain ways. And some of us have felt the judgment of other people, and because it hit close to home, we sit in that judgment for a very long time, and it slows our life down. So here's what I want us to do. All of us, instead of speaking the lies over yourself and speaking the lack of truth over yourself because you've been hurt, and sometimes when we're hurt, we keep hurting ourselves, I want you to begin to speak the truth of who you are over yourselves. And so here's what we're going to do. We are going to put online on the webpage, so Chris, if you're listening, pay attention because um, they don't know that I'm doing this. Um, and we're also going to send it out through text or however you guys want. You get a hold of us, Okay. And we're going to put out godly affirmations about who God says you are. And let that be the guiding light of your life. And let that be who you are. And let that spur you on and be willing to take the hurt of the judgment of others. Because God has called you to be a person in a church at a time such as this. And you and I can be difference makers in our churches and in this world. Because we are unoffendable. Because we believe in the one true king and who he says that we are. 
So we're going to create that resource for you. It should be up by Tuesday. Tuesday, Chris. And so, um, and I want you, like, I don't know what you need to do. Write it on your mirror in your bathroom. Tape it on your forehead. I don't care what you do. But it's time for us to move through this hurt. And it's time for us as a church to stop hurting people. To really be who God created us to be. And so I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed right after that. But church, I love you. And I hope that you feel loved and secure today. And I hope that there's some healing happening in your life and in your mind today. As God revealed the truth to you through his word. Lord, we come to you now. We praise you and honor you in this place. God, we love you. We thank you for the truth that it is to be your sons and daughters. If we have confessed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that our identity has been changed and our worth and who we are is found solely in you. And so, Lord, whatever judgments we've received from others, whatever things have come into our life that have hurt us, God, I pray today for peace. God, I pray today for that knowledge to understand who we are in you today, Lord, that we will do the right thing regardless of what others say. God, that we, when our judge, will call people out lovingly and peacefully for their benefit, not for their judgment. Lord, if there's anybody in our lives that we need to apologize to, would you give us strength to do that? God, I'm sorry we haven't always represented you well. Thank you for your grace and your peace towards us when we don't. But God, would you strengthen us as your church to be exactly who you created us to be. And when we are that, the world will be changed. And so, God, we know and believe that you have called us to a time such as this. So give us the strength, the peace, and the perseverance, and the healing we need today to walk forward in your kingdom. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Christ's name. Everybody said.